Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to The Passing Shot. Sabalenka wins in Wuhan, Nick Kyrgios gets a suspension, and Team Europe win a nail-biter in the Labour Cup. couple of weeks on the ATP and WTA tours with no fewer than 10 tournaments taking place around the world. We've had Andy Murray's return, Gava Pace in Zhuhai and Beijing, a return to form for Sabalenka in Wuhan, and the ATP dishing out some punishment for Nick Kyrgios. Uh, but before we get into all of that, Kim, uh, we've been away for a while, and I think the last thing we spoke about was the Labour Cup, and everyone else has had their opinion on the Labour Cup. And I feel like we should have our opinion on Labour Cup as well. Yeah, it seems like it finished a while ago now, but it's been um, a while since we got together. So it's good to be back. Um, yeah, I think the main thing I think, you know, about this year's Labour Cup was that it was the best Labour Cup of the three that we've had so far. And I think most people would agree with that. I mean, it was somewhat orchestrated, I suppose, to be a close affair. You know, and it came down to the final match, which was obviously great for everyone kind of involved um but i think you know it will be remembered probably more for you know the off court stuff than perhaps what we <laughs> saw on the court um especially the bits of coaching that we saw from uh, federer and nadal which i think amused and kind of intrigued everyone quite a bit yeah it definitely intrigued me like rafa and federer i think particularly with like zverev and i think fognini as well they were just kind of in their ears and it was kind of great to see and it was yeah really interesting like the idea of rafa nadal a guy we've obviously seen as a tennis player on a tennis court for you know 10 10 plus years or so the idea of seeing him as a coach was you know completely new completely refreshing and um yeah it just gave us a different perspective on a guy i guess we we all thought we knew yeah and also i mean it's yeah it's it's uh, perhaps a what they might go into after they retire you know stop playing themselves perhaps that coaching is something that's crossed their minds and you know i, I think we saw that you know they probably would make pretty good coaches perhaps but also you know it was nice to see them you know giving their teammates you know in Zverev and everyone you know that kind of positive motivation and it kind of gave you a glimpse into what must be going through their minds when they're playing and why they're so successful because you know their attitude is so much more like stronger keeping in a belief you know and uh, I think it kind of gave us it showed us the difference between you know Roger and Rafa and and everyone else basically I love how you've said like their positive behavior because there was a moment I, mean, I don't know if you saw <laughs> Roger Federer just swearing. completely 
just <laughs> went off on on Zverev. I mean, he, he showed that he was really, you know, passionate. And I kind of, you know, what I really liked actually was like those sorts of off the cuff moments. I actually think mm. made the Labour Cup really interesting to watch because it it gave you these situations like Rafa coaching, but also like Federer swearing. It's yeah. like whenever. When have we ever? I mean, we we have seen that before, but that's not like the image he kind of portrays, is it? No, he likes to sort of come across as very like suave and sophisticated, and you know. But I mean, he does have that kind of like fiery, angry side, especially when he was younger in his career. You know, he got so worked up, and he really had to learn to control his temper. But I mean, he was using the swear words in a kind of you know motivational way, wasn't he? So it wasn't like. Um, maybe a curious like swearing you know sort of you know the or world's gonna end <laughs> yeah so I thought in the context it was okay and everyone was kind of pretty fascinated by it um and also seeing Rafa coaching Federer as well and then giving him advice I think he's probably the only one of the of team Europe that was maybe kind of qualified to be able to coach Federer. Like, you know, we didn't see Dominic team kind of going up to Federer being like, oh, I think you should do this. So <laughs> it was, yeah, some really like interesting moments um, in particular kind of off the court and just seeing their like relationship and yeah, all the factors at play. And I actually, Kim, I think on the last episode, I think you owe Jack Sock an apology <laughs> because Last episode, you were kind of like, what on earth is Jack Sock doing <laughs> in the Team World team? I actually thought he was like the the, M- the MVP. And I think hilariously, he won. I mean, obviously, he's, he's had like no singles matches this year. And I think he won. Uh, he won his singles match. And then, yeah, as a, a doubles player, I think he, he helped Team World win, um, you know, keep keep them in check with with team europe so i think i think you owe him an apology i i i great if he's listening then i'm sorry <laughs> jack sock um i i owe you one <laughs> but yeah well i mean it was all meant to, he just saved himself he had such a terrible year he was just saving himself for this opportunity <laughs> saving himself for Labour Cup, um, exactly. but it does seem that the labor cup has kind of meant after well after the labor cup a few players have sort of announced various injuries so it, maybe it took took its toll a bit Ryonich I think announced that he was injured Kyrgios has announced an injury he's not going to be playing uh for the rest of the year but we'll get onto that in a bit anyway uh Sitsipas retired from a match didn't he obviously Rafa pulled out of of um was it the second day of play because yeah. he had a wrist injury which was still kind of ongoing so I mean I think a lot of the players probably turned up with a, with a few injuries but um it's such a yeah big event I guess they didn't want to miss it and you know I mean they're getting obviously paid an awful lot of money to do it so <laughs> I think yeah I think there's I think there's two points there I think obviously it was kind of sad because it it did deprive us of that Nadal Federer mm. doubles um doubles partnership that you know I think a lot of people were going and hoping to see and we obviously got deprived you know of that special moment um but also I think more so you know if 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 there is this um, suggestion, maybe that players turned up and they had little niggling injuries, you know, I think it. I think always the Labour Cup will come back, you know, to this debate: is it an exhibition, or is it is this competitive? Is this competitive kind of tour tour intensity tennis? And you know, I think you know over the kind of the the course of the event, we saw moments that kind of suggested it. You know, it was an exhibition, and then we saw moments where it suggested. You know, this is a you know really intense competition, and you know I don't. I'm still not really sure which 
where, where kind of the scales are, are more balanced towards? What, what, what yeah, do you Yeah, I think it is an exhibition in my mind at the end of the day. Maybe in a few years it will become something more than that. But I think they're trying to make it the most important exhibition, I guess, in the tennis calendar. Because to be honest, most exhibitions that take place are very meaningless. But by making the head-to-heads count, you know, in, in player rivalries, I guess they're trying to give it more status but at the end of the day if you look at you know if you're looking at head to head and it says oh yeah so and so beat so and so in a in a labor cup match you know the third set is a tie break isn't it so it's not really you know you just be like oh that's labor cup um so i think it will give it take time if they do want to make it more of a a proper event it will take time they're going to need to you know m- maybe change the format or something but i don't think there's anything wrong with it being an exhibition it's just I don't know. It just, I, th- I think it was, in- it's enjoyable. I certainly got everyone watching. It's, it re- appeals to the kind of the mass casual fan, doesn't mm. it? Because the, the people involved are, are the top players. Um, for yeah, me, I would I, just, I personally would just, um, I would like them to do a female equivalent or, or maybe in- include the, the women and have a mixed event, you know, something like the Hotman Cup, but, but on this kind of scale. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, you know, I thought it was interesting because, you know, at the moment we've got the, the world, you know, the world athletics championships mm. on and they're innovating that sport by introducing uh, mixed relays, which I was watching on TV the other night, which is absolutely fascinating and new and like a brush of fresh air on, on the athletics track. And, you know, when I think to tennis and it's kind of like, well, what mixed gender events do we have on the tennis tour? And, you know, obviously since the Hopman Cup deceased, We've got nothing apart from mixed doubles at Grand Slams and the Olympics. But yeah, no, exactly. They do that in the swimming as well. They have mixed relays now. So, I mean, I think it would it would be great to see to see. Uh, I mean, at least if they didn't do it at the same time, they could have a female equivalent, couldn't they? Like the Billie Jean King Cup or something. Um, I mean, I think we put that out as a tweet, didn't we, Joel, to our listeners? We we said if there was a female equivalent, who would be on your team Europe and your team world? And I mean, it's it's a very difficult choice. There's there's so many top female players to choose from. And I, I think it, it would be a very close call as to who would actually win as well. Well, I, yeah, I, I mean, I had it. If I did a kind of a female equivalent, I'd have in team world, Serena, Venus, Andreescu, Osaka, Barty, and I pick Kenin. Mm. Um, and then for Team Europe, I'd have Azarenka, Svitolina, Kleisters, mm. Kvitova, Halep, and then for British interests, I'd have Conta. Mm. Um, I think my point here with the women is that if it was mixed gender, I actually think it would kind of help alleviate. I think what the imbalance there is at the moment because you know we've had three editions so far. And I think Team Europe have won have won all of them. And if you kind of look at the, you know, the female tennis landscape, you'd you probably say that Team World are actually um, a bit more. Hmm. You know, I think a bit you know, stronger the top, at the moment. Exactly, and I think potentially that you know females from Team World could come in and almost kind of address that imbalance and make it even more even. Um, and I think that will kind of help you know bring that kind of you know com- you know that competitive edge i know this kind of the the kind of last few results have been really close and gone down to kind of the final match but yeah i just think you know bringing women into it it'll just kind of create more kind of unique moments that 
perhaps feel exhibition but maybe Labour Cup has to go there in order to attract you know a new audience to tennis um and and for me I think that actually is you know what it's it's raison d'etre is that's what its purpose is and you know it's going to have to have those moments that you know sit outside the tour and yeah I think you know bringing kind of the women in to create those moments I think that's a I feel like it's an inevitability, to be honest. Yeah, and I think this is an event that they're going to test out like different innovations and, and things. So I think it would certainly be a move that's welcomed. I mean, I don't think anyone would oppose bringing the women into this event. I mean, if they did, I would seriously question them. Um, yeah, it, it seems like Europe are going to keep winning it <laughs> unless maybe they do bring in the women because, I mean, you've got you know the, the big three involved and, you know, I think a, 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 a non-European man hasn't hasn't won a slam since what Del Potro, like ten years ago. So it's it's, <laughs> I mean, it's definitely you know men's tennis is totally skewed towards towards Europeans. But um, yeah, let us know your thoughts if anyone's still got any kind of ideas <laughs> for for next year's Labour Cup and where is it, Joel? Next year is it is it Boston? Is it going to the states? Am I right? I think it's in Boston. Yeah. I could be wrong. I feel I might be wrong. I feel like our listeners will let us know yeah. if we are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and and I think we've already had confirmed uh, McEnroe and Borg will be the coaches next year. Um, interestingly, I saw a tweet saying, um, you know, if you're Team World and you've lost three times in a row, and John McEnroe has been the coach each time, you know, if this was a competitive event. You know, would there be questions asked of the coach, for example, if you've mm-hmm. lost three times in a row? Because, you know, in Davis Cup, I imagine, you know, if, uh, you know, if the coach of a Davis, you know, Davis Cup nationally kind of loses, you know, three ties in a row or whatever, there'd be questions asked, wouldn't there? And you know, I think we raised an int- that raises a kind of interesting point on on where, you know, you you kind of see the Labour Cup because, you know, if this was kind of a, you know, all important, all serious event. You know, after you've lost it three times, you know, you know, I guess John John McEnroe is a personality, but like, you know, would you get, would you get, I don't know, would you get someone else in? Because you know, he's not but been doing are they really job, coaching or? that much? I mean, Borg seemed very quiet. You know, it seemed like it was the other players that were doing most of the kind of meaningful coaching. So I think they're just McEnroe's probably just there to to get the paycheck and add his name to. It. <laughs> I mean, you know, it draws people in, but I think that's. Um, I don't know who who else would they get instead as as the coach for Team World. Well, um, Jim Courier, maybe mm, possibly. Yeah. I'd love yeah. I'd I'd love to see Mats Villander get involved. Actually, well, maybe. he's European, Joel. He's Swedish. <laughs> yeah, I'd 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 take uh, Mats Villander over Bjorn Borg. Mm-hmm. I don't know if any of our listeners agree with me. Uh, let us know if you think um, if you think the Labour Cup needs new new coaches who would you have for team world and team europe let us know um but yes let's move on because i feel like now we, we could talk about labor cup and i feel like <laughs> we're already kind of labor cut out yeah um but let because because there was tennis going on at the same time um and the wta tour i think has had you know we're recording today and we're i think we're on a, a three-week stretch of back to back to back WTA premieres um, and kind of going back to Osaka, actually, um, we had Osaka's namesake, Naomi Osaka, mm-hmm. um, show kind of, you know, come go back to kind of the, the form, you know, the the form that I guess we kind of didn't really see a lot of at the US Open. Um, 
you know, she didn't drop a set all week, and yeah, she defeated Mertens and Pavlichenkova in the uh, yeah in the Osaka Osaka final. Mm. Yeah, she's been a bit off really since the Australian Open, to be to be honest, this season. But I think playing at home, you know, she finally won her home tournament. Uh, it's actually the city that she was born in. I think I heard her sort of make a joke in a press conference like, oh, yeah, if we're born here, everyone gets a surname Masaka to some journalist who <laughs> I think asked her a stupid question. So she decided to give a stupid answer. But it made me laugh. Um, yeah, she actually has, has finished runner up at this at this title twice. So it was nice for her to actually win it on home soil. Um, yeah, she's very dominant, um, especially in the, in the final. She kind of massively outplayed Pavlichenkova, who who herself is a, to get to a, a premier final is pretty mm. pretty good because Pavlichenkova has been kind of off the radar and she was what former top ten you know she was tipped to to do wonderful things um, you know when she first burst onto the scene and she's been languishing in the in the forties of the world so um, you know good performance from her as well to get to the final uh, but yeah Saka just too strong in the end. Um, and she yeah, does love a hard court. She, she does, does love yeah, a hard court, and especially she? at home, it's nice, you know, because I think, I think after her successes, you know, two slams to win a, a tournament at home is probably mm. a very nice homecoming yeah, for her. Definitely, definitely. But we had um, Wuhan as well. That was last week, so another premier event, and all um, what the players like to call Wuhan Bolden. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, what I a loved. what a pun on Wimbledon that is, because the courts are, are very very fast there. Um, kind of strangely, so it's perhaps almost like playing on on a grass court, and you've got players like Alison Risk getting to the final, you know, and she's normally like a total grass court specialist. So um, Kvitova as well got to the semi-finals. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Uh, but Sabalenka won it, didn't she? So she's been very dominant at, the, at this tournament. She won it last year. She won it this year. She got to the doubles final. I think she hasn't actually lost a singles match at Wuhan, if I'm right in thinking. Do you know what, Kim? I think that she 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 must have heard your kind of Grand Slam predictions at the start of the season. This was like her apology to you. Because, uh, yeah, because didn't you tip her for... I tipped her to tip win her the French first? Open. Yeah. Tipped her to win the French but Open. Obviously, it was all about Wuhan for her. This is, <laughs> she was gearing her season up for Wuhan-Bolden, <laughs> clearly. Um, although Sabalenka on a grass court hasn't really done much. So, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, she's finally kind of brought it together in Wuhan, you know, because we were tipping her to do great things this season, which didn't happen. Um, so she had no. a, a great week, uh, first player to defend her title in Wuhan. And yeah, she kind of outlasted Alison Risk in the final in three sets. Uh, but it's great as well for Alison Risk. I think she's got some ridiculous record of, of winning a lot of her matches in China. She really likes the conditions in China. Um so it's it's great to see. And also Alison Risk, I think she's top 30 now. So, you know, late, later stages of her career, perhaps, but she's doing the best she's she's done. So I think, again, you know, it proves that her good form on the grass has kind of continued a bit. And just touching on, on Sabalenka, do you think, I mean, do you think this is just Sabalenka loves Wuhan or do you think actually we're going to see her mount some sort of challenge to the kind of, you know, top of the WTA rankings well, or potentially in the Grand Slams because you know we did we did speak about her at the start of you know the season as a potential you know breakout star. I mean, she played really well 
you know, the US Open last year, you know, she lost to she lost, she lost to Osaka, to Osaka in the fourth round. We had kind of said, oh, you know, that could have gone either way. It was very down to the wire. I mean, mm. Sabalenka, she has, I think, lost early in, is it Beijing this week? So maybe I wouldn't get too excited uh, <laughs> too quickly again about a resurgence. But she certainly got the game. I think it's just she's very flashy and can go off the boil and it's not very reliable you know Mm. i still feel like we talk we talk well i see her more in the doubles later rounds than the singles Mm -hmm. yeah later rounds potentially so um you know i thought it was interesting to hear that she says that doubles helps her find confidence she needs those those matches but you know i wonder whether that's kind of um you know whether that's kind of inhibiting her singles play i don't know but um you know, it's good to kind of see her um, do well uh, at Wuhan. And yeah, let's see how she does. As you said, she already went out this week. So, mm-hmm. you know, yes, a return to form. But um, yeah, let's wait and see. Um, but yeah, kind of moving on uh, to the men's side of things. Uh, we're going to talk about Andy Murray, who um, was back on the ATP tour. You may remember he dropped down to challenger tour level. I think he won a couple of matches in uh in Mallorca I think um and yeah he was uh back on the ATV tour in Zhuhai and he's in Beijing at the moment and um yeah he's had I think it's gone pretty well for him to be honest I mean he defeated Tennis Sangrin um in in Zhuhai and then lost to Alex de Menor who went on to win the tournament and you know I think you know, in the immediate loss to Dumanor, I think everyone was slightly disappointed because it was it was a really tight battle. I think you know Dumanor came out six four in the third, but you know, in hindsight, the fact that Dumanor won and and I think Murray gave him probably the sternest sternest test um, on route to the kind of title. Um, he he did look really good, and if you kind of couple that with you know today's result against Berrettini, I think it it bodes it bodes really well, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. I think you know it was wasn't a the loss against Alex de Menor, you know, it was, it was almost a three-hour match. It was, you know, it was very, it was very close, you know, and he's got nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and I think was it Alex de Menor kind of said, well, I, was it Alex de Menor that said this, or or Andy himself? He said he's probably playing as if he's sort of sixty something in the world. I don't know. Obviously, much higher than his actual ranking. So that was really encouraging. And then even more encouraging, beating Berrettini. Was it today as we're recording this? So, mm. you know, Berrettini is a US Open, what, semi-finalist. So, you know, an in-form player. And I think, you know, Andy's exhibited some kind of classic vintage Andy in, in these matches, which is what we want to see. We can see him able to win doing what he, you know, he always <laughs> did best. So, um, yeah, really encouraging. And, I mean, I don't know exactly how his body is. I think it's just a matter of getting the fitness back, but I'm hoping that there's no kind of, you know, I mean, I don't know if how much he would tell us if, if the hip was causing mm. any problems or um, I think it's just, we have to just see week by week and not get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting because um, I think in his match um, in the Dimonor defeat or in Juhai anyway, he basically said that, you know, since his kind of operation, he's had to approach, you know, matches differently. And he's, I think he said kind of, 
you know, stepping onto court, he didn't, it was like the first time in, in ages that, or, or in his career, basically, that he, he didn't actually practice the day before. And, you know, I think that kind of approach and that kind of open-mindedness and that willingness to kind of do things differently, I think is really valuable to have when, you know, you basically have to approach the sport from a completely different angle. You can't do it like, you know, he, he, he did before. And um, yeah, I think that kind of open-mindedness will kind of, you know, serve him, serve him well. Um, yeah, it was interesting to kind of hear that, you know, he thought he was playing at kind of 60 or 70 odd in, in the world, you know, in Zhuhai, but you can but see kind of... than that now, I guess, if he's beating Berrettini. So, and he's got Norrie next, Cam Norrie. So matchup of the Brits. I mean, I'd expect Andy to win that if he's just beaten Berrettini, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think Andy's very self-aware though, isn't he? So he'll be, you know, as you said, he's going to adapt. So things are totally different now. You know, he has to adapt and learn what's right for him and his body, you know. He's, <laughs> so, yeah, very intriguing out in China right now with, with what Andy's doing. And, um, I mean, just a note on Alex de Menor from last week. He's actually, that's his third title of the year. So he's slowly building up, you know, very good season and um, consistently actually getting to finals and winning them. Um, he beat Manorino in the final and, uh, you know, he, he won the Sydney and Atlanta tournaments earlier in the year. So De Menor is sort of coming into coming into his own. And I still think of him as like a small little teenager, really. But he's 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 making, you know, a name for himself as well. So, um, but yeah, we'll see what happens with Andy against Cam. Um Cam won through against, I think, Christian Garin, who retired uh, in the first round. Yeah, so, I think he had like a nasty, a nasty fall yeah, actually. So I hope, yeah, yeah. I hope uh, Garin is all right. But um, yeah, I will be looking forward to that. But um, yeah, we'll be back after this quick ad break with Mysterious Player, and we'll be talking about Nick Kyrgios's suspension. So join us after the break. So, Joel, I think it's time for a little interlude in our discussion of this week and last week's tennis news. Um, a bit of a mysterious player for you, Joel. Um, I know last go. time round on, on the pod, you had some <laughs> obscure doubles player for me, which, uh, which was great. Well, okay, it was Daniel oh, Nestor, wasn't it? Um, not, not, not that obscure, but I mean, not Pam Shriver some... obscure. I mean, come <laughs> on. Come well, on. today I've chosen an equally obscure player for you. Um, oh, fantastic. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, well, we'll see. We'll see if you, how long it takes for you to get this. Uh, okay. <laughs> so, no are question. you ready? Are you going to do a little sing song for us or shall I go straight uh, into it? Let's you? go straight into it. Let's go straight into it. <laughs> okay. Right. Mysterious player. Number one. I'm a left-handed player with a two-handed backhand. Fernando Gonzalez. Incorrect. Oh. Okay, next clue. Clue number two. My career high singles ranking is number 22. Hmm. Uh, next. Okay, uh, number three. Um, my best Grand Slam performances uh, was reaching the fourth round at Wimbledon in 2013, 2017 and 2018. Oh. Wimbledon fourth round lefty. Um, Gilles Simon. Incorrect. Uh, 
Oh, <laughs> you love a bit of Gilles Simon. Yeah, I love him. He's a classic fourth round Grand Slam player. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, clue. I think this is the fourth clue. I am currently thirty-one years old. Oh, okay. I see. Must, must be still on the tour. Um, Wimbledon fourth. I'm still thinking about this Wimbledon fourth round. Um, lefty. Oh, um, you seem to be assuming it's a man as well, but oh, <laughs> might not be. Um, Fernando Vadasco. I'm for some no. reason I'm thinking Span. I don't know why I keep thinking Vadasco's best uh, Grand Slam would not be the fourth round at Wimbledon. He's reached the semis of Australia. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Okay. Okay. This next. Is already, this is going down. This is going downhill. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, my current singles rank is sixty-one in the world. Um. Oh God. I've got uh, more, please. Don't worry. Oh. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> um, next clue. I'm not sure. Come I on. won my first tour singles title this year after having lost my previous six finals. Oh, so not as bad as Nishikuri's yeah. record. Um, is it Denis Shapovalov? No. Shapovalov? No. Oh. No. I'll uh, give you another clue. I reside yeah. in Malta, but I was born in France. Malta. Oh, my God. I don't even know if it's a man or a woman. <laughs> I can give, uh, well, I've got, I've got more clues. Elise Cornet? No. Oh, okay. Okay, so the title referred to earlier was the Ross Marlin title on a grass court. <laughs> Defeating Jordan Thompson in the final. Oh, so it's a man. Oh. So that Jordan. was that was his only ATP title. Yeah. Um. So. So you oh. could say he's a grass court specialist, I suppose. If his his only titles on grass mm. and his best Slam performances have been at Wimbledon. Ivo Karlovic. No. I said I was born in France. I said I was oh, born yeah. in France. Um, okay. You were close with Gilles Simon. You were quite close. Oh, okay. Uh, Jeremy Shardy? No, very close. But um, no. <laughs> um, okay, I'm just going to list French players now. Uh, Here's another clue. Was... This is my last clue. I okay. recently lost to Alex de Menor in the final of Zhuhai. Oh, it's... <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's... it's a very uh, recent kind of recently mentioned player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I can't even remember what happened in Zuma. Um, it's not Lucas Puy. No. Um, not so. Oh, it's not. Um, oh, He's a bit of a journeyman, <sighs> I suppose. That's probably why I chose him. Um, is it? <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm really struggling. Uh, do not, um, no, I've got no idea. Who is it? Oh, I know. I know. I've got oh. it. <laughs> Go on. Is it Manorino? Yes, <laughs> it is. Come on, Ale. Adrian Ale. Manorino. Ale. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. He's. I uh, feel like that famous now as a mysterious. That took a lot longer than it probably should have, and I'm 
pretty sure a lot of our listeners got that a lot <laughs> a lot quicker than i did um if you did let us know did you even get that after the first clue or the or the wimbledon clue uh let us know on twitter at passing shot pod because yeah i feel like i would have been i was probably definitely near the bottom there but i'm glad i got it come on come on right oh um right let's let's go back to the tennis world and we were talking about Andy Murray we were talking about Cam Norrie um British tennis um the good side British tennis the bad side uh and we have to kind of talk about Kyle Edmund because at the moment he is in a bit of a rut isn't he I think he's on a five match losing streak he's just lost um in Beijing to a Chinese wild card who's ranked outside the top 200 um this season in general has just not been very good has it no it's been pretty disastrous um he's going to be out of the top 40 um well i think he's yeah he's already gone out of the top 40 no confidence kind of things are going from bad to worse really and this time last year you know he was about to win his first atp title in antwerp antwerp yeah so he's going to be losing a lot of points he's going to really um Fall yeah, down. I think he, you know, he got to the quarterfinals as well. I think in Shanghai as well, yeah. which is a yeah. Masters tournament. So, yeah, there are big points there to defend, and um, you know, I'd, it's it's just one. Of, it's one of those things. He's he's in a rut, as he said. He, I think he's had he's lost his confidence, and you know that's affected his kind of obviously his stroke play on court. I think he's obviously been dealing with um, injuries as well. I think you know he's had knee problems this season. And that kind of combination of those two things, it's just, it's resulted in him, you know, probably at the end of the week um, being replaced um, as British number one. Exactly. And I think that's something that we've spoken about before, you know, this year on the pod, it's, it was seemed like a likely outcome if all the results going, going, going the way that they were going. And we did ask, you know, our listeners as well. And some of them kind of said, yeah, it's a combination really of things. You know, Lynn Pin said bad knee and wrong coach. I think that kind of sums it up quite well, perhaps. Uh, at the swing volley, uh, lack of confidence. But Zhang, who's the Chinese kind of wild card, um, who beat Kyle, Apparently, uh, you know, terrific player. And I think many have said, well, he's actually one to watch himself. It's not just, you know, mm. he is actually going to be potentially a top top player. So um, Claire, Claire, 2 one, one. Maybe there was too much pressure on him to be British number one after Andy and it's not panned out. So um, perhaps Kyle did feel a bit of pressure, you know, being the, being the British number one. But I think he just needs a bit of a renaissance in his life. Uh, <laughs> something's got to click. Maybe he should just take take time out and think 2020 new start new year new me and have not the pressure on him yeah i think it's it's got to be something like that i think it's got to be a reset sort of situation and i think he's only the only time he's going to be able to do that is um you know at the end of the season i think you know as much as we want him to kind of go and you know reclaim his antwerp trophy or you know do well in in shanghai i just can't you know i just can't see it see it at the moment but but who knows, you know, he might go to, you know, he might come back from Asia, go to Antwerp and, you know, might rediscover his, you know, his form that kind of took him to the title there last year. But um, it feels like at the moment he's a, he's a, he's almost like a world away from that, uh, you know, that player we saw, you know, a couple of seasons ago. And it, yeah, it just seems to be a, a combination of things. And I'm hoping this is obviously just a, a dip because, you know, I think, 
rightly he should you know I think he is you know he is British number one I think you know if you look at our players he has the tools to go the highest in terms of rankings um but you know it's it's just as you know Dan Evans and, and Cam Norrie are just playing better tennis at the moment and and Evo you know I think we spoke about it earlier uh before the US Open that you know that that was when it became a real possibility that you know Carl wasn't going to you know be the British number 1 to the end of end of the season you know this isn't a thing that's happened over, overnight this is something that's been you know developing for a while and um yeah, I, you know, the comp- I guess the competition is good and, you know, it'll be yeah. interesting to it's see nice how Edmund responds to it. It's nice that we've got different players to <laughs> to compete for British number one and we're not just stuck with one player. So in a way, it's nice that we're debating whether it'll be Evans or Laurie or Edmund, you know. Um, but yeah, in other news, Joel, everyone's favourite bad boy, Nick Kyrgios, was finally given a um, a punishment from the ATP for his antics on court. I think specifically they were investigating what happened in Cincinnati when he kind of, um, well, did all sorts of things, verbally abused the umpire, spat towards the officials and, you know, many more things. And, he, you know, he was given a massive fine then. And, um, you know, the ATP were investigating, t- take, taking, taking a while to come to a decision, I must be said. But they finally have announced a suspended 16-week ban for Nick Kyrgios from the ATP tour. But it's kind of, it's not immediate, is it? It's like a probationary ban. So if he does something in the next six months, um, if he does anything naughty in the next six months, basically, then this ban comes into effect. Um, but perhaps the main the main kind of critiques of this announcement was at the time it took for the ATP to actually come to a decision and then the kind of timing of it was because it came was it literally a day after Kyrgios himself announced that he would not be playing it wasn't for the rest it wasn't even a day it wasn't even a day it was literally like uh i think he posted it like five hours before he announced that he wasn't going to take part in um in asia and um yeah, like five hours later, the, the statement came out and I think the eyebrows were raised because, you know, he was at Labour Cup the, the previous yeah. week. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's um, you know, he was at Labour Cup and then the this came out and, you know, there's going to be people there who say, well, hang on, did ATP just kind of wait? So because they know that he's such a draw, did they wait so he could play Labour Cup? Um and you know order <laughs> i saw him like eating like his like dinner on on court which i thought was quite funny uh <laughs> like just like, like yeah. watching back watching courtside and eating his dinner which was but great he did but um labor cup didn't he he wasn't he wasn't he did doing anything yes nasty, but i mean it's a bit yeah it's a bit suspicious for the timing because i guess if kyrios takes the next couple of months off he's then what he's just got to behave for the, for another few months without doing anything to avoid this ban coming into effect um, and I guess it's kind of like almost like a last resort for him. I mean, it's going to be perhaps quite difficult for him to keep it together. I, I don't know, but well, that's what I thought. I mean, it's like I feel like this is just inevitable. This is inevitably going to happen. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be like more strategic with his outbursts, you know? Because, for example, you know, the Australian Open—that's not an ATP event. So maybe I'll just you know resort to my all my controversial moments there 
because uh, it it won't have any any ramifications. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I think you know something like this needed something like this needed to happen. Um, I think you know some people probably would have said they could have been a bit you know uh, stricter, but you know I think this is kind of them serving Kyrgios with a warning. Hey, if you do anything like this again, you're going to get um, you're going to get a suspect, you're going to get a 16 week ban uh, from the ATP tour. Yeah, and um, they have to be seen to be doing something because it would be ridiculous if they just turned a blind eye to it. So, you know, we can debate whether this is the most appropriate sentence or you know, but I think it kind of calms the situation down for now you know he won't be playing for a bit uh, I think he said he might try and play the Davis Cup I'm not I'm not too sure but you know it'll be probably next year before we something happens on, on court with Kyrgios perhaps mm-hmm. um but let's move on there were a whole <laughs> load of <laughs> actually Kim I was just I was just gonna say it just came to me during the week um I feel like Kyrgios is to tennis like what VAR is at the moment to football, which is oh, always yeah. just always finds a way to be in the conversation. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, any any of our football, any of our listeners who are football fans, yeah, I feel I'm gonna see. I see Kyrgios as like the VAR of this <laughs> this tennis season. The KYR. Um, anyway. uh, let's move on because we had loads of other tournaments to kind of cover, don't we, Joel? Um, it's a really busy time of the year. Well, I mean, any time of the year is busy, I suppose, for tennis. It never sleeps. But we had Tashkent, WTA tournament out in Tashkent. Uh, Alison Van Utvank won that one, beating Serrano Costea in three sets. Um, so anyone who made it out to Tashkent, that's, uh, you know, impressive. Um, Chengdu as well, PCB, lifted his uh, first title in, in a while, beating Bublik in three sets. Mm. Um, Bublik's been doing quite well lately, you know. I mean, that must be his first final, Bublik. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Bublik and, and Rublev, apologies. I just get them like, I just, they just like mesh into one in my brain. <laughs> and they've both been, they've both been doing really well, at, uh, both been doing really well at the moment. Um, I saw Bublik actually in Queens qualifying. I think he beat, um, I watched him beat uh, Jack draper in qualifying and yeah he he is a you know he is one to he is definitely one to watch you know not at the upper echelons of the next gen but certainly certainly in the um in the the chasing pack yeah and it's good that Kareno buster he's i sort of seem to have forgotten about him really um after he did so well a few years ago um didn't he get to the semi-finals of the us open in 2017 (laughs) but after that he just sort of disappeared and (laughs) it's actually his fourth atp title but he's 28 now um i still think of him as being like 22 so there we go life life well kim who knows maybe we'll see him at the davis cup yes well i don't mind a bit of pcb um you know on his day he's very very impressive Um, (laughs) so we also had gung gung zhuao guang zhao i've i've yeah pronunciation issues uh Sophia <laughs> won her what her third title of the season i think um to win guang zhao she beat stoza in the final yeah probably- where'd that come from yeah <laughs> um so yeah so obviously Sophia kennan continuing her good form this season you know third title of the year very impressive kind of breakout season for her um we also had in seoul uh carolina mukova she beat Magdalenette in the final, bit of a thrashing, six one, six one. Um 
is that Mukova's first title? I think because you know, again, she's having a bit of a break breakout season herself, reaching the quarterfinals of Wimbledon and now getting her first title in Seoul. Um, so that that was all happening in the last couple of weeks. This week we've got Beijing. ATP 500 and WTA Premier. And we've also got Tokyo. I know Djokovic is out in Tokyo trying to play that because, you know, of the Olympics next year, he wants to get a feel for the courts there. And he re- Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, I think he announced, because um, he normally plays Beijing, but he said, no, I'm going to play Tokyo this year because it's the same venue as the Olympics next year. So mm. it makes total sense for him to do that. Um, he he yeah. won against uh, Alexi Popyrin today, um, which is his first yeah. match, I guess, since the US Open. Uh, Angelique Kerber's already lost in Beijing. She lost to Polona Herzog. I think we put a stat out on our Twitter. Herzog only served 39% first serves, but still managed to beat Kerber. So Kerber has not had a great season, let's be honest, as well. Like a sort of Carl Edmund sort of season, I think. And, yeah. Uh, I know. Not, not not a great result. Um but yeah, we had we had that. Um Osaka's gone through though. Risk has continued a good form. She beat uh, Tom Janovich. Um as we said, Sabalenka, who won Wuhan, then proceeded to lo- lose to Kasatkina in, in straight sets um in the second round. Um but but perhaps I've got my eye on actually is uh Wozniaki who has said that Beijing will be her last tournament um, of the season. Um, she beat uh, Mikhail of um, United States six four six love to get to go into round three. Um, she's she said that she's kind of looking to uh, you know for a strong end to kind of you know what you know she would have probably admit has been a you know diff, you know a difficult season. Um, you know um, so uh, yeah so I'm kind of keeping an eye on that um, and yeah Barty as well is a top seed. You know, she came through potentially quite a tricky test in, in Putintseva, came through 6-4, 6-2. Sloane Stevens lost uh, to Zheng, 6-3, 6-1. What happened there? Sloane Stevens isn't really having a very good run of it at the moment, is she? No, um, no. Yeah, so and then we've got yeah Tokyo going on. I think Djokovic is playing Go Sueda tomorrow. So lots of Japanese in the event. Actually, Nishioka, who's been doing very well lately, Uchiyama, so lots of local Japanese players, uh, Taro Daniel, so a lot of the fat Japanese fans be a lot of players to support there. So that's what's going on this week. Um, we'll be catching up on that the next time we, we get together, Joel, see what Andy Murray goes on to do in uh, in Beijing. Beijing, yeah. I think it's uh, yeah 5.30am start tomorrow morning. I think they're first on. Um so I know you're going to be setting your alarm for that, Kim, as am I. Um, wow. going to be watching that. Before you go to work. <laughs> go, before I go to work, exactly. Um, also, uh, we forgot to mention, Bianca Andreescu is playing in Beijing. Yeah, USA. When is she going When is she going to lose a tennis match? 2023? I, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, 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 Wow, she's got Elise Mertens tomorrow. I think that, not that's, a, that's, that's not an easy opening round. No, but. no. Um, so yeah, we've got some, well, some, another tasty matchup. I've got Svitolina Kenin as well. So, uh, yeah, there's definitely some tasty matchups in Beijing and Tokyo. Uh, we'll be back to catch up on all of those in, uh, I think in a couple of weeks time further down the road. Um, 
looking back on all the results in Asia. Um, but in the meantime, um, if you've enjoyed listening to us, uh, feel free to give us a rating on iTunes and a comment. Um, and if you want to stay up to date with The Passing Shot, you can follow us on social media. Uh, our Twitter handle is at Passing Shot Pod on Facebook as well, Passing Shot Pod. And on Instagram, we are Passing Shot Pod. Um, and if you want to get in contact with the show, um, we uh, our email is passingshotpod at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode um, and we'll catch you again very shortly. Thanks for listening and goodbye.